we've been focusing on, we've been paying attention to our practice. We've been committing ourselves and making space for our practice. What have we noticed? Has anyone noticed anything? Yeah. The quieter I get, uh, the more I realize there's layers of uh, subtlety that I've not yet gotten to, and there's just a lot more. There's a lot more noise than I previously understood. Okay. I'm exactly the opposite. (laughs) It's a lot more quiet in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's a great contrast, the two of you, because it, it... Hopefully, it demonstrates that we should not expect to have another person's experience, to look for our own, to validate our own, to acknowledge our own experience. That's what this is about. What is a, or what is the, or what is the only fundamental difference between you sitting on a cushion in the meditation hall and sitting at the kitchen table? Yes. <laughs> that is a that is a difference. I didn't hear Gary what you said. Would you repeat? We're about to eat at one of them. Okay. Anyone else? Uh, one thing that I find is that when I'm sitting with a group, uh, sometimes not always, but sometimes I tend to go deeper when I'm with a group than when I'm on my own. Okay. Those are differences, but we're looking for a fundamental difference. And the only fundamental difference is location. This is very important to grasp. We've got to begin to investigate and ask ourselves, why is it when I'm in the meditation hall, when I'm in a Dharma hall, when I'm at a retreat, and I'm sitting on the cushion, I have a certain amount of empowerment or control over the influences that my thoughts have on me that I can let them go by, I can ignore them, I can be present with the event. But when I'm at the kitchen table, why is it, why do I empower, why do I ascribe worth, why do I energize the volition of the thought that then causes me to be fearful, angry, upset, vindictive, judgmental? when we have the insight that there's no difference between one and the other, except location, then we begin to understand that our practice is just there to establish the habit of putting thoughts and feelings and ideations and conceptualizations in their place, in their proper place, that they have no power at all that their suggestions are simply suggestions. Why can't I put a thought in its proper place in the Dharma hall, but I can't do it at the kitchen table? Because we think it's different. Because we think at the kitchen table my thoughts are special that they are instructive, that they should be followed. No one 
jumps up in the Dharma Hall and becomes angry and starts shouting. Well, I've had a few instances. <laughs> but usually not. Usually we're able to acknowledge the presence of that thought, that feeling, but then observe it as it goes away. We don't attach to it. So the insight, the transition that is available to us, the bridge that is available to us, is to, at the kitchen table, have the same conversation with mine that we do in the Dharma Hall. On Main Street, we have the same conversation with mine that we do in the Dharma Hall. Do you see the connection? Do you see the release and the freedom when we do that? It's that simple. The practice, the Dharma Hall, is just to give us development in the habitual tendencies that we have to, in neurobiology, rewire the brain so that we act one way instead of another. That's all it's all about. So we must continue. I, I, I see people walking. I see people doing Tai Chi. I see people sitting on the cushion. I see people acting out in life. And I wonder why they don't see that being one place and being another place is the same thing. As John Kabat-Zinn says, where you go, that's where you are. The only thing that's different is location. Yes, John. Uh, what's been coming up to mind to me recently is equanimity and in the sense of what it means to have my feathers ruffled and in order to have some inertia, impetus, a lot of my life is until my feathers aren't ruffled enough, I won't do anything. And getting in a state of, of real deep abiding and sometimes it fe- can anything get done from that really deep state and function from that place and trying to guard the sense gates uh, while at the same time hearing things and seeing things where most of my experience was if, if you you won't get going until your feathers are ruffled enough in order for you to take an action. Um, as well as balancing the, the, the non-doing with the doing. And um, honoring some sense of folks want to disrupt that peace or that stillness. And that's Dharma. That's a practice. And having patience, not necessarily pointing out when someone's 
awareness is going to external things. So it, it, with another person sitting across, even with one other person, it, there's a there's a complexity that just <clears throat> evolves while I think it's very precious that we've all touched that simplicity of the moment um, and having an equal mind as well as still kind of to still garner an, an, an attitude and orientation along that continuum of movement and stillness and stillness and movement. Um, so that's about equanimity and and one experience isn't any better than any other experience and really deepening that process while at the same time living a a conventional life amidst of suffering and confusion. All right, so if I understand you, you're saying that the only time that you actually learn is when somebody sets a fire under your butt. <laughs> All right. So the question to ask ourselves is, why is that the only opportunity that I respond to? Why isn't it that I can't learn to develop and be different by watching someone else's experience or by reading a book? You know, why do I have to have a fire lit under me in order for me to change my opinion, to change my view, to do something different? Why is it that there's always pain involved before I get up and act? And again, what I'm trying to demonstrate, what I'm trying to share is that it doesn't have to be that way. It is that way, and that's why it is that way, because it is that way. This is the way we've always learned by trial and error, that it is pain that persuades us to do something different. As long as we don't feel enough pain, we continue to do what we've always done. And the question is, why? Why can't we ascribe worth to transition just on the surface? Why does it have to hurt us before we decide to change ourselves out? our methods of relationship with others. Well, that's because that's what we've always done. Okay. So this philosophy, this practice, is here to demonstrate that there are other ways to do it. There's gentle ways, there's soft ways to do it. And your practice requires that every time you initiate will or volition, that you are there and you're present and you ask yourself, well, why did I do it this way instead of another way? Not to act blindly, not to strike out, but be conscious with everything that you do. Be involved in every activity that you have, every experience that you have. Be involved with it. Be present with it. Be alive with it. So that you do not participate in the experience unconsciously. 
That's all. Be conscious, not unconscious. That's all. And that choice is always available to you. That's what mindfulness is. Just being here with yourself and with everything else as it occurs. Any questions? And it is that simple. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's that simple. There are no differences unless we create them ourselves. Have you been doing that in your practice? Have you been doing that in your life? If you haven't, that's the liberator. That's the path to freedom and understanding. That's the path to insight. If you can do it one place, you can do it all places. If you can be good in church, you can be good at the market. There's no difference. Because it all is initiated from mind. And if we can subordinate mind in the Dharma Hall, we can subordinate mind in life. There is no other difference. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Someone did a survey, and I don't know how wide-reaching it was, but it was of clergy people, and they found that if they were in a hurry, they were no uh, more likely to stop and help somebody than the average person. And that seems to be sort of what you're speaking to. If, Of course, I don't know how wide that survey was, but I found that very interesting. If they were in a hurry, did they define or did they describe what that experience meant to them, being in a hurry? No, that I, I, it didn't go into that. But I was just picking up on you saying, why are we different at the dinner table than in the Dharma Hall, or why are we different? You know, okay. so I just thought that was an interesting little slice of life. Well, it's interesting. It is interesting. So when we are in a hurry, where is our awareness? In the future. Yeah, to where we're get, trying to get to. Right? Right. We're not where we are. We're trying to get someplace else. So the real revelation is being present so that we can be right where we are and to participate fully and consciously 
where we are. And when we get to where we're going, then we'll be where we are. And thank goodness we live in a universe that we have that choice to stop and pause. Sometimes that choice comes very difficult, but we do live in a universe where things are changing. And this morning I was making a little salad, and I said, why am I getting in a hurry? Mm -hmm. So that's just an example. Mm -hmm. And then I came back to what I was doing, and I, I felt immediately better. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I've noticed in my meditation practice that once I get quiet, an idea may come up that seems like a really, really, really good idea. <laughs> and I'm writing a book and working with this organization, and then I'm going, oh, that makes sense. That's a good, you know, and then I, I don't know if it's my mind playing tricks on me. Some of the ideals are good. I'm wondering if I'm quiet, they get to bubble up, or... Or is my mind just trying to get distract me? Remember, we're given a, a template for evaluation. And it says to consider what you're going to do before you do it. Is it a good idea? And you say it's a good idea, so you act on it. You volitionally project your will on the idea to manifest it. And while it's being manifested, you can ask yourself, is this a good idea? And when it's finished, you ask yourself again, was that a good idea? So that's how you do it. Right? It's, it's very difficult in the midst of the project to actually determine how it's going to end because that hasn't occurred yet, right? So right now you only know what you know because you're, you're relating to what has been developed, what has been manifested. And the only thing you can do is ask about that. How is it going right now? How do I feel about this right now? How do the people around me feel about this right now? So when I'm meditating, I might... And I'm looking for that. I might meditate with that intention instead of medit. And then when I'm meditating, just to quiet my mind as a practice, two different intentions with the meditation, maybe. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying, well, what I'm saying to you now, right this moment, is don't get so busy with it. Oh. <laughs> 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 you you're putting too much of yourself into the project. I guess this is kind of a nebulous question, but okay, what kind of question is a nebulous <clears throat> question? In regards to uh western psychology, mm -hmm. the role of the unconscious is pretty immense and I wondered in regards to mindfulness and arriving at the present moment with mindfulness could you say a few words about the unconscious or the collective unconscious and 
how it relates to that. It's hard to differentiate between the conscious and the unconscious because when they're when the role of the unconsciousness is in play, how do you know? You wouldn't know with the conscious mind. You wouldn't know with the conscious mind. Well, how would you know with the unconscious mind? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> okay, I so that, that's the problem, right? That's the issue. So the... The instructions are to be fully aware, just be there, and then you will know. Stop playing with stuff that you don't understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? So my experience has been, especially in meditation, I also have things just kind of come up, and it's like, oh, wow, that's an insight, you know? And and I feel like my practice, more than anything, has served to develop presence power. So when I do have a moment where I am confronted with a decision to make, I can draw on those insights or make a wise choice based on my heart space, like on what I'm feeling and what feels true in that moment. So it's more of a conscious decision. So meditation serves as just carving out that awareness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's okay. just developing the process of being right. present. Yeah. So then you can choose wisely when that moment arrives. And you can only choose wisely if you are there to choose wisely. Right. Right. When you've lost your mind, when you've lost your presence, when you are unconscious, you might do anything. And then you wake up to that anything and you say, well, gee, why did I do that? What made me do that? What made me get a gun and shoot my fiance and kill her children? What made me do that? Would I have done that if I were conscious, awake, aware, in my heart space? Would I have done that? No. So this is what we are developing within ourselves as individuals, being present, being conscious, being in our heart space, doing the best thing that we know to do. And that's all we can do. But what we do know, I think intuitively, all of us knows that we will make a better decision if we are conscious than we will if we're unconscious. So, stay awake. <laughs> That's all it means. What does Buddha mean? The awakened one. The one who's conscious in his relationship with other things. That he doesn't have to be told that he's stepping on the foot of the other. That he has insulted the other. He doesn't have to be told because he is aware. He knows. He's awake. And he modifies his behavior. He modifies his intention based on the feedback that he gets in relationship. He doesn't have to wait to be told that this is hurting them. You know because you're there. You're present. You feel it. 
because there's no difference between me and you. When I hurt you, I feel it. I know it because I'm there. I'm responsible. Being awake. Being present. Being aware. Being mindful. All those words trying to point us to, trying to turn our heads and minds to a specific. It's encouraging us not to do things and not to act, respond unconsciously. How do we know we're present? Because we keep testing it. We keep saying, is it done yet? Is it ready yet? Am I doing the right thing in this? We keep monitoring it. That's being there. That's being present. That's being aware. That's being mindful. That's not for a moment turning our back. You know, the mothers in this room know more than anybody else. You can't turn your back on a two-year-old. You've always got to be aware of what they are and where they are and what they're doing. And that's what life is about. It's about always being aware, being present, being mindful of what's happening around us so that we will not do anything that's harmful. The awakened one. Yes. Speaking from heart, Mm -hmm. which has a little bit of a delay between heart and mind and compassion, can you speak a little bit about the pause that needs to occur so the heart can catch up before the mind acts? There should not be a delay because the mind and the heart is the same thing. If we feel that it's separate, if I think my mind is here and my heart is here, then I have instituted a separation, a delay between one and the other because I see a duality. I manifested the duality. I created it myself. And that's a part of our power. That's a part of our discretion. That's a part of our knowing, our power. We have to reunite heart and mind. That's what consensus, that's how consensus is written in Chinese. The symbol of heart and mind together. Speaking as one, that's consensus. And if we wait until our heart-mind is aligned before we speak, before we do, we can sort of be guaranteed that our input, our suggestions are the best for the moment. There will be no delay. There will be no lag. But we have to align it first before we project and before we illuminate and before we manifest. We have to set the condition for alignment for. And we do that by setting the intention of doing no harm. And we do that by being present and evaluating every moment of our involvement with the 
manifestation of the new movement that we ask ourselves before, during, and after, was this the best way? Was this the kindest way to get this result? Being there, being present with it. Okay. You guys are doing great. You really are. You really are. Um, okay, if you're ready, let's do our work. Now again, this is all about creating a condition that ushers in the result that we would like to experience. So we have to bring mindfulness and purpose right from the beginning. We have to produce or engage the right ingredients for the condition to be perfect. And so we talked about heart and mind. We talk about love and compassion. So we want to bring that to the table. We want to bring that to the pot, to the stew first. So I want everyone to close their eyes and just breathe. And I want you to go back and find the experience, the moment when you felt love. Find the moment when you were convinced that you were in the heart. And there's an accompanying feeling in that moment. That's how you know you're in the heart. Because there's a feeling that we define as love, of softness, of kindness, of contentment, of fulfillment. We talk about relationship and fulfillment. It's about being satisfied, not needing any more having everything that you need in that moment, feeling fulfilled. And as you capture that feeling, let the experience go. Let the thought go that brought you to the feeling and just hold the feeling and say to yourself, I am filled with loving kindness. I am well, I am happy, I am peaceful. Let that love and that feeling imbue every atom, every cell, every molecule of your body. All of the space around the body. 
feeling yourself being replenished by, saturated by, enveloped in this loving feeling. Now think of a friend. Your best friend. And share your feeling of love with them. That they experience the same feeling of fulfillment contentment, fullness, may they be filled with love and kindness, may they be well, may they be happy, May they be peaceful. Sharing the abundance of love, the feeling, the condition with your best friend. Now bringing mindfulness in front of you. To the nostrils or to the upper lip. Abandoning any covetousness and grief for the world. Any desire, any sorrow for the world. Put it down. Because we want to access a different reality, an inner world, a loka, where there's order, where there's correctness, where there's forgiveness, where there's acceptance. And you can't take the other stuff in with you because that is not an element of this world, this inner world. It won't fit.
being at the nostril, being at the upper lip, being present <laughs> with acceptance of what is. Just breathing in and breathing out. Being with the in-breath, being with the out-breath. Not wanting it to be anything but what it is. Just knowing that that was an in-breath. Just knowing that that was an out-breath. Now we're going to turn our attention to a different quality of the breath, a different aspect of the breath. If we determine that it's a long breath, that's what we'll be with. If we determine that it is a short breath, that's what we'll have. That's what we'll experience. Breathing in, I understand this was a long breath. Breathing out, I understand this was a long breath. Breathing in, I understand this was a short breath. Breathing in, I understand this was a short breath.
Now you have to demonstrate it to yourself, whoever that self is. You have demonstrated to that self that you have the, the will, you have the power to detach from one idea and move to another one. That's what you did in your meditation right now on the cushion. There are thoughts that came up in your mind. You looked, but you said, no, this is where I'm going to be right here. You ignored, you abandoned, you turned away from that ideation, that conceptualization in consciousness. And what did it do? It went away. That's all it did. It just came and it went. So you have to ask yourself the questions. And this is a part of the ongoing process of development. That when you're walking down Main Street and you have an idea to take your clothes off, you realize that you have a choice. (laughs) But you don't have to do it. And in realizing that choice, even when you indulge in it, you at some point in your experience say, You know, I don't have to do this. I don't have to be naked. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be fearful. I've made a choice to do that. And all I have to do is put my attention on something else. That's all I have to do. And my whole reality changes. Again, it's that simple. Not always easy. Because sometimes it feels free to dance naked on Main Street. (laughs) But it's simple. Don't make it hard. Don't make it difficult. Just empower yourself with the fact, with the knowledge, with the wisdom that I don't have to do this when it's telling me to go get a gun and shoot somebody. I don't have to do that. When it's telling me to be fearful about a situation, I don't have to do that. And your whole reality will be formulated differently because you've brought different conditions to the moment. And that's the power. That's the awakened way. You're not a victim unless you ascribe to victimization. Each and every one of you has the power.
when you find yourself powerless, ask yourself, why am I doing this dance? And stop it. It has nothing to do with out here. It has to do with this. And its power of imagination. Its power of creation. But you've got to ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? I don't have to. And then make the choice to do something different. But if you don't remember to remind yourself that you have a choice, you will feel that you don't have a choice. And you will continue to grovel and feel the heat and wonder why life is treating you the way it is. May all beings be liberated by this awareness, by this insight. May all beings be free from pain and sorrow, depression, sadness. May we be, may we be awakened. Thank you so much for everything you do for us. We appreciate it. Your support, your wisdom, your intellect, your friendship, your support. Smile at a stranger, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.